And we are the Extra Sisters, so sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. Welcome to episode 152, and in this episode we are going to talk about Twilight Zone, the movie from 1983. And this is an anthology film that paid homage to the show, you know, from the 50s. Pretty sure it was Mm -hmm. the 50s. And I had, I've only seen actually a couple episodes of the show, and... I have never seen this film. This is my first time watching it. So this was all new to me. Oh, yay. That's exciting. I have only seen like bits and pieces of parts of the show. I had seen this movie a long time ago. And the the very last anthology piece has always, like when I was younger, gave me nightmares. So that's mostly why I wanted to talk about it. And some two pieces from this movie gave you nightmares or i'm sorry the show from this movie oh okay that's what i thought you said but i'm like trying to figure out which ones it could be the last anthology piece yeah no that one always gave me nightmares Mm, interesting yeah okay all righty well let's let's get into it then actually the only thing i did know about this movie is that they killed kids like in real life Correct. That is the other reason why I wanted to talk about this film is just because I feel like it should be talked about because of that. So we'll talk about that in just a moment because it happens in the first anthology section. The first anthology section. Correct. Mm-hmm. But not the opening sequence. Not the opening the sequence. The actual. Not, not the one with Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> not the that. prologue. Okay. Right. Right. So like we mentioned, this is broken up into like four little different, oh, it's almost like episodes and mm-hmm. just like the Twilight Zone. So it is a movie, but it's like four little episodes into a movie. So they basically just made Twilight Zone episodes and released it as a film. Right. Because they even got different directors and everything for them. So they Correct. really are, they really are just like little episodes. Yeah. For our prologue and the first anthology, we have John Landis did that, who also did American Werewolf in London. And the second one, we had Steven Spielberg. I mean, huge names for these pieces. Right. And the prologue, there's just somebody driving in a car. And basically, the conversation turns to what episodes of The Twilight Zone they found the scariest. And the passenger's like, do you want to see something really scary? Tells him to pull over. And he turns into a monster. So kind of like your big and then (laughs) yes exactly which i think it's any like whether you are a big twilight zone fan or you're just kind of still great i was about to say like you know of it it's still like a bop like you know exactly you know you're gonna get creeped out here in a minute and it's gonna be great right so the first segment is a rework of an episode called a quality of mercy and this is actually a, a really interesting sociopolitical piece, mm-hmm. and it's all about this, like, it was how many racial slurs could we fit into one fucking piece? <laughs> yes. And this man named Bill is bitter after being, pa- he didn't get a promotion at work, and one of his Jewish coworkers got it, and he gets drunk in a bar with his friends, and he starts coming after 
Jewish, Black, and Asian people because he went to Vietnam and he just calls, I mean, he uses the N-word a lot and he uses Jewish and Asian slurs. It's really talking about them buying houses and owning property and getting jobs and taking work. And, you know, it's honestly, what struck me is actually not that interesting. It's not that interesting at all. Actually, it doesn't surprise me, but you could literally show this today and it would stand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. None of this has changed. We're still having these same conversations with the far right. And you can fucking not listen if that, I don't give a shit. We're still having these fucking conversations with these privileged ass white people that don't get things. And then they blame it on like, you know, fucking, oh, it's a diversity hire or whatever. Fuck off. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yes. And so I I liked this piece a lot because this, a black man is sitting in the bar and asked him to fucking stop being a racist asshole. And so he leaves the bar and then gets transported to Nazi France, I believe, during World War II. Mm-hmm. And a pair of Nazi officers patrolling the streets start interrogating him. And he can't answer since he doesn't speak German. And so basically, this piece makes him all of those things that he was being prejudiced and offensive towards. So... In this one, he's being chased by Nazis because he was being horribly offensive and discriminating and, you know, talking down on Jewish people and giving some perspective to that. And so a chase ensues and he tries to get help from this family, but they basically turn him into the cops and he ends up on a ledge and being shot at and terrified for his life. And he's shot at, falls off the ledge. And then after he falls off the ledge, he is now in the South in the 1950s and he's being chased by the KKK. Mm -hmm. And he's literally saying like, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong, which is like case in point. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. and it's still like, so unfortunate that, you know, what, like 35, 40 years later, we're still haven't really made that much progress. And also, this is a rework from something from the 50s. <laughs> right. I mean, it's even down to they pull a watch off of him, a gold watch, and they go, did you steal this from someone, boy? And it's like, yeah. Like, I, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. And we're still having these conversations, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just feels like we're so far. We're like, still back there. We're so, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, everything that happened last summer is still happening, and it's, mm-hmm. it's like – we and it's been happening obviously long before yeah the it never happened because of systemic racism it is built into the fabric of mm-hmm. our country and this is like something that they took this white man and put him in the shoes and i think people watched this and they went to go see the twilight zone and i really have to wonder how many people actually sat with this you know mm-hmm. or since i wish this kind of would have been the last one they put in to be honest because this is the first one and there's four sequences and after an hour and a half of a movie you don't really like obviously it's a it's a power it can be powerful done in the right ways and stuff and what they were getting at is powerful but like you you move on from in the film and you're going Mm -hmm. through the rest of the movie and they're all different stories and so now you're wrapped up in part two and three and four 
And I wish this, they would have left this at the end. And I know why they didn't is because it's not like monster and scary. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. They wanted to spook you at the end. Exactly. But it's like as far as like the commentary on it and what they were trying to do, I kind of wish people would have had to leave with it, you know, mm-hmm. and think about it a little bit. I mean, the Twilight Zone was known for that in all of their episodes, that there was lots of political commentary and social commentary and things like that. So it, it does also make sense to start off with that. Yeah. So I, I get your point either way. I also love that just as horror in general, that's, I mean, and I'm not just saying horror, but that seems to be something horror has always been really progressive mm-hmm. in. And that makes me proud. Now, granted, there has, we need a lot more representation, but I like that we are seeing that, hey, we need to be better about this as far back as the 50s. Right, exactly. And horror's always been open to letting you do that. Right. They've put it on screen. Mm-hmm. And so he is being chased by the KKK and they actually try- they move to lynch him. Mm-hmm. And Bill basically is like, I'm white, but these people don't see him as white. He sees himself as himself, but they do not. And so he tries to escape. He jumps into a lake and then surfaces in a jungle during Vietnam. And he sees American soldiers. And I don't know why he hasn't figured this out yet. But I know, right? <laughs> he sees them and he's yelling at them like, oh, my gosh, fellow Americans. But they don't see him as American. Instead, they see him as someone from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And so he's a Vietnamese man now. And they launch a grenade, which launches him back into France again. And there he is captured by the officers and put into a, he's captured like a car and along with Jewish prisoners that are going to a concentration camp. And Bill is looking out and seeing his friends come out of the bar and they're looking for him and he's screaming for help because they can't see or hear him because he's basically in another dimension being punished for his racism. Right. Exactly. Now, before we move on to the next segment, let's talk about the part that was missing where the two kids and our main actor actually died. So in the Vietnamese sequence, there was actually a village that we should have seen. We did not. They cut it out, which I'm thankful for. But at the same time, I don't know, I guess like I wish they had left more of it. But basically, he ends up in this Vietnamese village. In real life, the pyrotechnics people had put too many explosives because they were going to light the village on fire and, you know, explode it and all of that stuff. And he, our main actor, is supposed to take these two little kids and he's running from, you know, somebody. He is running across this river and he's like carrying them and holding them and trying like, you know, they're trying to escape like it happened in real life. And what happened on set is there were too many explosives. They were too close. There was also a helicopter in the air that was basically shooting down on them, quote unquote, but it was just a film. The helicopter got knocked off basically because of the explosions that were in the village and it knocked the helicopter out of the air and the actor and the two children were actually sliced in half by the propellers and the six people that were on the helicopter were injured but the three actors were killed in real life that is awful yes and it was two little kids the parents were even on set watching the whole thing so 
this was literally like it happened and everyone saw them all die. And I'm going to do the trivia for that one here instead of waiting for the end. And this is what I have. As Vic Morrow, so he was the our main actor in this scene, as Vic Morrow was waiting to film what would turn out to be the scene that killed him, he said to a production assistant, I must be out of my mind doing this. I should have asked for a stunt double. What can they do but kill me, right? While he was filming Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, 1974, he insisted on having a $1 million life insurance policy before he would shoot any scenes involving the helicopter in which he was due to ride. He was very insistent, and when asked why, Mara replied, I've always had a premonition I was going to die in a helicopter crash. Well, yeah. That's some Twilight Zone shit right there. Dude, right? That's fucking creepy. Also, Steven Spielberg ended his friendship with John Landis as a result of an on-set helicopter crash that claimed the lives of Vic Morrow and child actors Renee Chen and Mei Cha Din Lee. He said that the fatal accident had made me grow up a little more and had left everyone who worked on the set sick to the center of our souls. With regard to how the crash influenced people's attitudes towards safety, he said, no movie is worth dying for. I think people are standing up much more now than ever before to producers and directors who ask too much. If something isn't safe, it's the right and responsibility of every actor or crew member to yell cut. Yeah. Which is hard because you get to stand up to this big time director, producer, Mm -hmm. or executive, but it's like, otherwise you die. Literally, literally. That's, that's just so, and that's part of why I wanted to talk about this film was because there's actually a film out there in the world where three actors died in the making of it. I mean, there's plenty, and I'm not saying that it's, it's any less because it isn't, but there's plenty of stunt people and crew members that have died and that's bad enough as it is but literally on screen we have film footage of it you can actually watch it on shutter they talk about the some the films where people have died in basically and they talk about poltergeist because she didn't die in the film but she died while they were filming it but this is one of the ones that they talk about and people actually died while it was being filmed they have the footage of the helicopter coming down Oh my god, that would just chill me. Like yeah. any like plane crash, helicopter crash, which is interesting because the last thing in this is a fucking plane. Yep. But oh my gosh, like just that seems like one of the most horrifying like ways that you cuz you know like I know in this case it was probably very quick, but like like a plane crash, I just imagine, like, you know. Mm-hmm. For a long for, time. I was going to say, for a, a long time that you're going down. Yeah. I just, like, the parents that were sitting there watching their kids act, and then all of a sudden they're just gone. Horribly. Yeah. And you watched Personally. the whole thing you, it, right in front of your face, and there was nothing you could do about it. And actually, they were talking... I watched the Shutter documentary on this, and they were talking about how Vic Morrow knew basically that it was going wrong, and he re- he picked up the kids at the last second to try to run, but he's running through water. Like, who can run through water away from a helicopter? You can't. Mm. And I don't think anybody was held liable for this either. They went to court. Don Landis obviously got off, and he went on to have an amazing career, but they did go to court for this. Yeah. Um Their death led to a hope their deaths led to a high profile legal case although no one was found to be criminally liable for the accident. The two children child actors had been hired illegally. 
Yeah, which is a whole other fucking thing. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which is ironic, given the whole, you know, substance of the film he was making here, you know. like yeah, correct. We, oh yes. And I do understand that John Landis has gone on to say that there's not a day that goes by that he doesn't think about this and that it has affected every aspect of his life. And I get that he was, I mean, this was in the early 80s. He was younger. I don't even had he done even american werewolf in london yet i don't even think so like he was still american okay so he had but he was still very young as a director so i i can see it and i'm not saying i want it to destroy his life but at the same time come on man yeah well and nobody was really held accountable for this either right so okay but moving on to that we have a sad but hopeful story next oh my god this one made me cry <laughs> yes like in a in a bad and good way <laughs> oh my- i hate this one but i love it so this is in a remake of the episode kick the can and this also has i was like this is the dude from the shining like right this is the guy from the shining it is yes Yes, it is. Yes. When I mean the guy from The Shining, I mean that it is. He played Dick Holleran in The Shining is the main character. Well, yeah, I would say the main character in this one. Yeah, he definitely is. And that was awesome seeing him. My only problem, it's not even a problem. It's just now I've been like woke socially and I've seen the horror noir series on Shudder once again. And they talk about how basically black people were only really allowed in horror for a long time as the magic black man and that's what he is in the shining and that's what he is in this and i'm like oh the magic black man but he was still amazing and i love him well i was about to say he was the magic man yeah yeah exactly yeah he did very well absolutely he's amazing he is the only character of color in this entire i think in the entirety of all of these anthologies well, it was the 80s. God forbid we have them, right? I mean, Except other than- for the magic black man. <laughs> God damn. I mean, other than when we were like in Vietnam, you know, in the first Right, one. exactly. That, because yeah. black people are only soldiers in Vietnam. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So this is in a retirement home. And this man, Mr. Bloom, which is that character we were just talking about, listens to these, all of these elderly people talk about their the joys in their lives and in their youth and they are very nostalgic for being able to do things that they can't do anymore because of their bodies like this one woman all she wants to do is dance and so this like the youngest of them asks her to dance basically and she says that she can't because her body does not allow her to do that anymore yeah but even before that we see an old man take his luggage out to his kids where they said that he was going to be able to stay with them next weekend and then they tell him no it doesn't work for them and he has to walk them back and they were saying that he does that every single weekend broke my heart oh yeah don't fucking that's fucked up god it made me miss my grandmother so much but with covid we're literally not allowed to take her out right now so that's fun yeah so he's like listening to them and all the things that like prevent them from enjoying the thing, you know, the games and dancing and just life in general. They just basically sit around and talk and they still like have a pretty good time together, but they're very limited in what they can do. And he says, well, y'all remember the game kick the can. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, let's play tonight. And they're like, <laughs> and then they're like, 
okay, like let's basically sneak out because they have someone that runs the nursing home that's not just going to let like all of her residents like out at midnight to go play a game that could cause them to break a hip, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the men, actually, I believe it was the man who wouldn't couldn't go with his family. Yeah, he's bitter and it's sad. Oh my god, it's so sad. He's like, no, they can't do that because we're we're all old and we're going to get hurt, and you can't just play kick the can. Like, are you joking? And which is really sad because he's probably just been worn down by his family telling him he's old and incapable. Exactly. Like he had grandkids that showed up. They they literally said we're going to be late for some sort of event with the the kids, basically. And he could have gone with. I was about to say, take him. Yeah. Take Leo. (laughs) And so while he's sleeping, all of the other ones go outside and they start playing this game. And while they're playing, they're transformed into the childhood versions of themselves. And they realize this. It's not like they don't. They still have their their minds the same as they were. But now they Mm -hmm. have young bodies again. And when I say young, I mean like six, seven, eight years old, like very young. And so they're playing kick the can and they're playing on a swing set. And one of them talked about how, when he was a kid, he was a mate, he was a climber and he could climb anything. So he starts climbing the side of the building where all these vines and lattice, you know, the, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking about the, those are, and he's just, and he's just watching and Mr. Bloom is just laughing and watching them. And this goes on for a while. And that's when I was like, oh my God, like this is so sad. Like it, yeah. it's, it's really good. And it's, it's very heartwarming, but I hear this all the time at work. Like, and that's, I think what hit me so hard is because I work in healthcare and, and you've seen this too, but I work in the clinic a lot. And so I go into exams with the doctors a lot and when we see old people, they're all in different, I mean, you could see the same age. Let's just pick one, say like 75 and you could see a really young 75 or you could, mm-hmm. or you could see someone 75 has hit them really, really hard. And some of those patients, like I cannot tell you how many times I've heard the phrase don't get old. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's all I thought of this whole time is I don't want to get old. And also I miss my grandma and <laughs> Yeah. And like some of them just are in so much pain, have such a hard time and they'll do mm-hmm. movements and I'll do things. I'm like, we'll get up to like, I'm like, okay, you can follow me this way. And it takes them a long time. And they talk about how much pain they're in. And they're like, Oh, enjoy it while you're young. And they, they are always like, from my experience, reminiscing about being young again. Dude, I'm only 31 and I already have pains in my legs and stuff. And I'm like, are you, I have to do this forever now. Fuck that. I want a refund. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're just not built to last, you know? Yeah. But soon their thoughts turn very practical because they're like, well, where are we going to live? We're just kids. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have... I wouldn't do it again. Mm -mm. Yeah, we don't have homes. And they basically... Oh, my God. This is where I really teared up. And, like, I really started thinking about it. One of them says, I've already lost everyone I love. I don't want to go through life and lose everyone again. Yep, that was it for me, too. The little girl, when she's like, I lost my ring. And her husband's name was Jack Dempsey. And she goes, but I'll never see him again. And I'm like, nope, nope, I'm done right there. Absolutely no. Let me die, please. Yeah, like you I've already lost your husband and and again they still have the same brains and so they'll go into this life knowing everything they already know just getting a new body basically which is actually kind of cool 
like you know that's pretty neat but yeah. they have no parents to take care of them and so where's this kid th- what are they going to do going to cps absolutely not you know right, exactly and there's one he's like i don't want to do school all over again correct i also would not like to do that granted you'd probably like blaze through it easy peasy but still you mm-hmm. have to go through the tediousness of all those years of school and then yeah. Like when she said, I've watched so many people die. I don't want to do all that pain again. I was like, oh my God, just literally a lifetime of pain mm-hmm. and experiences. And it's not all pain. I'm not saying life is pain, you know, but it, still like she's right. And so they asked to be their true age again. And so he basically says, okay. And, but their minds will remain young. So he's still giving them a gift. Like they remember yeah. what it was like to be children again. Which is awesome. Cause we get to. I'm skipping ahead, but we get to see them actually like go out to the beach and stuff. So it does, it works. Like they get to be young. There's one guy who decides to stay young though. Yeah. And like good on him. He is mm-hmm. going to live his best life. Yeah. And he's more, he's like a teen anyway. So it's not like he has a, it's not like the six year old who has a lot of like CPS and shit like that going on. But I don't know. He seemed, he was very excited. He even said, he's like, I could do it again. I had a great life. Let's, let's do this. And yeah. the guy he's been staying with are, are still old gentlemen, are crotchety old man, quote unquote, recognizes him. And he, he goes, take me with you. And the young man goes, you can't come with me. And he takes off and it's just so sad. And all the residents are just holding him while he cries. And it's just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It makes me want to cry again. Yeah, right? It's so sad. It's almost like Peter Pan leaving for Neverland. That's exactly what it felt like. Exactly. Yeah. This is the one Steven Spielberg did, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it feels like once you know that, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And like... But when the next morning, Mr. Bloom finds Conroy, who was the one who didn't want to participate, didn't want to do anything. He's kicking the can around the yard and he has a new outlook. And so he's going, he leaves Sunnyvale, which was the senior living facility he was at. And he goes to another retirement home to give that magic to another group of senior citizens. And that, oh my, like that, it's, that one is both of these so far, they were so deep, like mm-hmm. talking yes. about aging and losing that childhood that you, I'm not going to say innocence because I don't mean it necessarily like that, but just that like carefree, let's play and run. Mm-hmm. And not only do you lose that in your mind because we get so wrapped up in like the fucked up fuck work hours and stress that we have as adults. So that's mm-hmm. a whole other thing that is an issue, but right. Or just being parents and having to take kids to things and you just get so busy in life yeah that you forget to have fun and fucking Mm -hmm. kick the can or whatever like your generational game of choice was like for me like when I got to hang out with one of my friends recently and one of my favorite games as a kid was hide and seek I I asked your kids I was like do you want to play hide and seek (laughs) and I got to hide and it was like so fun you know and I think that's a really cool thing about being a parent is you get to do those things again Mm -hmm. but then when you're that age and you're in a retirement facility even your kids that are now adults and have their own lives they move on Mm -hmm. which is so sad but it's true yeah so exactly like there's a husband and wife in there and I'm you can tell like they're cuter with each other I'm sure they keep each other a little bit more young but everyone else they've lost their significant other they're in there all alone their kids don't visit they don't see their grandkids like how how lonely Exactly. Yeah. So I really, I really enjoyed that one. 
but it made me cry. I was say, but also I never want to watch it again. Yeah, no, one is enough. <laughs> like I know my, I, like I kind of want my mom to watch it because I think she would absolutely love it, but I think it would also just like destroy her. Mm-hmm. But it also like sh- that's like her shit. Like she loves like feel good shit like that. You uh-huh. know? Yeah. Yeah. So the next segment actually was the creepiest to me because it reminded me of this Disney Channel original movie that scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid called Smart House. Okay. And I know that it's completely different, but it Yeah, just, I was like, I know. I there's a house. <laughs> you get trapped and the house does spooky yeah. things and you can't leave and it's just very scary. But yeah. I, no, I this one was creepy to me too. The pulling the rabbit out of the hat. Ooh, fucking creepy. Just the acting in this was like really yes, and we have Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1950s. That actor is actually in this scene. He's the uncle. Yeah, this is a remake of It's a Good Life. the The episode It's a Good Life, and this woman, she's I think they started out. They say she's 27. She's going to a new job, and she visits a bar for directions, and while she's there, she sees this boy being harassed by a local for I don't remember what he was doing, watching something, and she comes to the boy's defense, and so he's like, oh, you're cool. I like you. So as she leaves the bar, she backs into him (laughs) with Mm -hmm. her car, and she damages his bike, and so offers to give him a ride home, but that was all calculated. Right. Anthony here, he's spooky. So when Helen gets home, she meets his family. He has an uncle, Walt, sister, Ethel, and mother and father. We don't really get their names. They're just mother and father. And the family's weird. They're super whack. You think that they're the creepy ones and Anthony's like some sort of weird victim at first? That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. They're very like leave it to beaver, like very perfect or they try to act that way. And he starts to show Helen around the house and the family like goes through all her shit. And I'm like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. There's a TV in every room showing cartoons and literally it- every room. Like you walk up the stairs. There's one at the top of the stairs. Everywhere you look, there's a TV. Yeah. Apparently that's his shit. Mm-hmm. Cartoons. Only cartoons. Because cartoons are the best. Right. And she goes into another room and sees a sister named Sarah And Helen says something to her. She's in a wheelchair watching TV, and you see that she has no mouth. Sarah freaked me out. Her eyes are all wide, no mouth. I'm like, oh, that's the grudge. Oh, I didn't. It's just also scary in general. Mm -hmm. You're like, what the fuck is happening here? And that was like, I didn't know anything about this going into it. I had never seen it's the episode. It's a good life or anything. So I didn't have any idea where this was going. I -hmm. didn't know if. Anthony's family was weird because Anthony does tell Helen before they get there like yeah my family doesn't care that it's my birthday because it's his birthday and Helen's like oh that sucks you know Mm -hmm. so he says it's time for dinner and so his mom is like um where's dinner and like asks him and Anthony's like it's in the oven and it's like they can't do anything without him saying something so it's like okay so he's the problem right and dinner is ice cream, candy apples, potato chips, and hamburgers with peanut butter. Gross. I mean, if you're a kid, I guess. Like, I guess. Hamburgers, potato chips, and ice cream, I'm down. But the hamburgers, like. With sh- peanut butter? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, try it. It's really good. And Helen is like, mm. 
So and Helen's like super confused at like why he's eating like this. She's a bold ass bitch though. I would not say yeah. shit. I'd be like, I this is this his birthday. This is what he wanted for dinner. And she's like, Do y'all eat like this all the time? Because this is like super unhealthy. Like, how's he gonna get all his nutrition? And they can't even speak without him basically doing it for them. Mm-hmm. So Ethel basically mentions like Anthony's like, oh well, it's just a birthday dinner. And Ethel's like, another birthday? And mm-hmm. Anthony's like, bitch, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Like, do we have to give presents again? And Helen's like, what What do you mean another birthday? Like, it happens every year. And her plate flies out of her hand. And Helen's like, okay. (laughs) I'm out. I'm going home. Because if I saw a plate fly across the room and, like, this kid cuts her a look and her plate flies across the room, I'm out. (laughs) Right, exactly. You can count me out. You're a fucked up kid. You're paranormal or you got mind control powers or something. Right? But no, Uncle's going to do a magic trick. You got to stay for that. Oh my god, yeah. Uncle Walt's going to do a hat trick. And then a top hat just appears on the TV. And Uncle Walt's like, I have no idea what I'm fucking doing. (laughs) And he just grabs the hat and he doesn't know what to do. And Anthony's like, yeah, like reach into the hat and pulls out a rabbit. Yeah, you could tell he's like, wants to do anything but reach in that fucking hat, which I agree. Uh, I don't want to lose my hand, thank you. Well, because then, like, this weird, like, monster rabbit comes out of it after that. Yeah, so spooky looking. And then Helen's like, I'm going to leave. And she, like, (laughs) tries to run away. And she spills her purse. And Anthony finds a note inside her purse saying, help us. Anthony is a monster. And Anthony's like, okay. All right. This is how y'all want to (laughs) play. And they blame it on Ethel, the younger sister, like the sister. And she tells Helen that they are not Anthony's real relatives. Anthony brought them to his house to be his family after he killed his parents. And he said that they are going to do the same with her. So he just collects people that he attaches to. Right. And then when they're not perfect, he kills them or puts them like Ethel in a second, puts her into cartoon land. Or Sarah upstairs puts parks them in front of the TV to watch cartoons for eternity with no mouth. Yeah, exactly. It was too mouthy. We had to shut her up. Right. So in punishment for writing the note, he does send her into the TV where she is pursued, like eaten by a cartoon. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's rough. And then Helen decides she's going to try to run away, but the door is blocked by, and then all these giant monsters. So like these, these cartoons start coming to life out of this TV because he starts wishing things and that's what ha- So he can wish anything and it'll happen. So he vents his frustration at everyone being afraid of him. And he makes like, he's, he's sad that people, they think he's a monster because he's just a little kid. Like he's what, 10 years old. Yeah. So like, it's kind of like, you know, when you have powers, but you don't know how to control them yet, I guess. But then also, like, he's making these cartoons, like, destroy his family. Right. So you are kind of a monster. <laughs> so Anthony makes the house completely disappear. And him and Helen go to this, like, weird metaphysical plane, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Anthony says that he sent his family back to where they came from since they don't want to be with him, which good for you. But he doesn't want to send Helen back because now that's his 
that's his person. Mm-hmm. He cannot understand why everyone's unhappy with him since he thought that he gave them everything they ever wanted. Like the house was super weird and he, they had candy every night. Like it's a 10 year old's dream, but as somebody that's, you know, 40 or whatever, it's like, mm, this is different. A wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not are where's the meat and vegetables and other things besides candy i would like something a little more filling Mm -hmm. please (laughs) so helen basically tells him that she would be a teacher and a student for him and they would figure out another way to use his power for good and basically he makes her promise that she'll never leave him and they go away in her car and drive through this like random country road and he makes all these flowers appear so ta-da he probably gave all those people fucking diabetes and trauma (laughs) and trauma or do you think it just like the memories like go away when they get to go back home you know or do you think they just like like what if like their significant others had like moved on right like how long have they been in this like weird reality with this kid Exactly, exactly unable to leave the house and stuff i don't yeah, know man you see their cars outside and they haven't been driven in a while because they're covered in dust and stuff so it's been a while not able to go anywhere just have to mm, i don't know but i would not mm-hmm. and it was also like just scary to me because like I, I just hate those things where, like, I don't know why Smart House scared me so much when I was a kid, but just the fact that, like... You can't get out? Yeah, like, that scares me so much. As soon as they said in this one that, oh, he's not going to let you leave, I immediately got uncomfortable. So those kinds of huh. situations just, like, really freak me out. That's cool. I like that. And it's not even, like, captive situation. Like, you know, when we watched, like, the one that comes to mind is, like, Green Inferno, because we just watched mm-hmm. something else that reminded me of that bone tomahawk that that's not the same kind of discomfort as i get from like something like this like where you're trapped in this house with someone that wants to fake love you that's what makes me uncomfortable like the fake mom and the fake like anthony but you can't get out of it and you just have to Mm -hmm. pretend like you're happy that shit is so scary to me agreed they should do more shit like that. It's, it's kind of like Agreed. that Stockholm Blight Syndrome type shit or like kidnappers when you can't get out and you're like having to play house. Like that stuff makes me so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So since this is, next one scares you so much, why don't you take lead on this one? The next one we have, I don't know the name of it. I didn't do that research like Amanda or what episode it's from, but we have John Lithgow and he is afraid of flight this one's called nightmare at twenty thousand feet thank you you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) he is afraid of flying and we see him in a plane restroom freaking out like he is sweaty he is having a panic attack in there and for good reason because this plane is rocking all around we're definitely going through a storm and it's not great right now the flight attendants are trying to get him out And once they get him out and they get him back to his seat, they're still trying to calm him down. He's still having this panic attack. He still doesn't want to be on this fucking plane, which is fair. And then you find out that he's an incredibly intelligent man. He wrote this map textbook on, I don't know, way too intelligent for me. But they're trying to explain to him that, you know, he's much safer in the air than he is down on the ground. And that's not helping him because he's already done that math in his head. 
So basically they're like, okay, you just need to sit in your seat and calm down. You're freaking everybody else out. And he does, but he looks out at the plane wing and he sees something on it. And he freaks the fuck out. Fair. Like, that's what I would do. He gets everybody mm-hmm. on the plane freaking out, running to the windows, trying to see what's going on. But now you don't see anything out there. He comes to the conclusion that he's like, oh, it must have been one of the ground people. And then he looks at the stewardesses and he's like, that's ridiculous. Nobody could survive up here. I must be going insane. And if you think about, like, I would think that I had, yeah, let's just have a psychotic break. That would be terrifying to me alone. Then they give him a tranquilizer and he's trying to nod off and trying to go to sleep just trying to get through this fucking flight and then he can be back on the ground and be fine but and you can like the the shot the angle in this is so good because you know in your own human brain you want to open like they they closed the little mini blind on the plane window and you know you're going to want to open it again because if you open it again the creature is going to be right there you know it's going to be right there right because you're feeling it in your head it's just like when you jump into bed because you know something's going to grab your ankle like it's that childish thing like you know there's something behind behind that and he doesn't and he doesn't and he doesn't and finally he opens his eyes and he goes to it and he opens it up and there's a there's a face right against the fucking thing and he loses his mind fair that's the one that that gave me nightmares that right there and they take him down like there's a guy on the plane with a gun and all of this stuff, and they think they have him all calmed down again. The One of the pilots comes out, and he literally sits him down, and he's like, okay, now, we are going through a lot of turbulence. People are already upset. I need you to calm down, or we are going to have to handcuff you. He thinks he has him calmed down. He looks out the window. There's nothing there. Then he leaves. John Lithgow looks out it again, And this monster is on the second engine. So he has already taken out the first with electricity. He brought it down. The second, he is just like tearing into it with claws and stuff. And then he's like ramming something into the second engine. John Lithgow is done at this point. He's like, okay, if I don't fucking save this plane, we're all going to fucking die. So he decides that he's going to bust out this window, which is like the dumbest thing ever because, you know, there's pressure and stuff on the plane. So you're going to kill everybody anyway, but that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Which is exactly what happens. He busts out this fucking window with a gun and he's still, still got the gun. And there's a guy attached to him, like trying to yank him back inside. But they're basically plugging this window. I guess, thankfully for everybody else, we can land the plane, I guess, with you hanging halfway out it. And he shoots at this creature, and this creature comes up to him and touches his face. So it leaves, like, gross, gooey stuff on his face and everything. And then it leaves. It just flies out. He even took a picture of it. And it makes me think of, there's a lot of stories of gremlins doing this stuff to planes, like fucking with instruments and stuff like that. That's what this made me think of, because it just flies away back up into the clouds. And then they don't see it again. And John Lithgow is this crazy guy that they're trying to get on an ambulance. And everybody's like, what the hell happened? We don't know. Why is he, why was he acting so weird? This was just crazy. And then the tarmac guys are going to check out the plane. And they not only see that the engines have been taken out, but they see that there are claw marks. And something really tore into this fucking plane. There was something up there. And everybody sees this. But then we see John Lithgow is on the ambulance. And he's basically, like, he is 
long gone. He's just like trying to talk to himself. If I've saved everybody, oh my God, I did it. And he's just being crazy. And driving the ambulance is Dan Aykroyd, who was the man from the prologue who turned into this monster to start the show. And he just looks at John Lithgow and he goes, do you want to see something really scary? Which is what he had said in the beginning before he turned into that monster. And then we're done. Yeah, that one. This is definitely the most like horror-esque one, mm-hmm. which is why I'm, they put it at the end, you know? Yes, yes. This was the one. So there are a couple things like from X-Files that have given me nightmares before, like when I was younger. This is one of them, that fucking thing on the wing of the plane. And especially, obviously, when I fly, I'm like, I'm not looking out that fucking window. There's going to be a thing on the wing of the plane. I know it. There is a gremlin. <laughs> yeah. On the plane. I don't like flying, but I'm. It's so interesting because, like, he lights up a cigarette in there, and I'm like, sometimes I wish. Like, right? I don't, I don't. I'm not a smoker, but like, sometimes you just gotta like smoke a cigarette when you're like really stressed out, you know? Dude, I mean, we used to be able to. I know, which is so <laughs> weird to me because, like, what if somebody like flicked it and like set the fucking cabin on fire? Dude, I agree. I feel like. We're not allowed to have cell phones going right now on flights, but there was a time when we could smoke cigarettes. That just seems insane to me. Yeah. Like, and now it's like, it, they even tell you in the, like, you know, obviously the no smoking on, bo- and it's like, well, yeah, fucking obvious. <laughs> right, exactly. Do you, like, want to grade each of these individually or, like, all of it as, like, one movie? How do you want to, like, do this? Oh, shit. I know. Well, that being said, like the first one, like for it's hard to grade that one because like yeah. the commentary, obviously, yes. But then the content can be worse than what the commentary was trying to do. And yeah, obviously people really died. Like yeah, me neither. But like I really, really appreciated what it did and trying to get people to look at it from different perspectives agreed but before like, you fucking run your mouth <laughs> movie wise it was also boring i feel yeah. i didn't really like that one it really felt out of place with one. the twilight zone you know yeah yeah liked the old people one really but also no <laughs> the kid one uh, the rabbit was creepy other than that i was kind of like let's let this end and then the plane creeps me out that one freaks me out Overall, probably probably do a three on this one. Pretty middle of the road. There's some really good highs, but there's also some really good lows for me. You know, I also would give it a three because it was half and half for me. Two and three. I loved two and three. I liked the last one as well because it was scary. It Mm -hmm. and so I liked the fourth one too, but like the third one for me did what the fourth one did for you because of just mm. how I feel about like yeah. getting like sucked in like right oh that anxiety and then the second one just oh god you know yeah so I would yeah I would give it a three and it seems like the rest of the world on Rotten Tomatoes the audience gave it a 55 and the critics gave it a 58 so it seems very middle of the road for everyone yeah. and it's hard because the Twilight's or the Twilight Zone series that is such a beloved mm-hmm. series. And also, Jordan Peele has done some Twilight Zone work. So Yes, I need to watch it. 
Yeah. So there's, I mean, Twilight Zone is something that has been redone several times or in different ways, at least a couple episodes here and there. So it's just, that's one of those things where like it can be done really well, but I don't think you can like totally bomb it either. If you just kind of stick true to the original plot themes. So. Right. Especially when you said, I didn't realize that they took episodes from the 50s i didn't realize that at all i thought they made up their own so especially when you're taking episodes that people already like and just remaking them yeah you're you're doing fine yeah exactly so i mean it's pretty good i would i would recommend watching it but it's not gonna blow your mind you know right exactly but i will say that like it didn't feel there were a lot of things that obviously felt dated but it didn't Mm -hmm. it didn't make me go oh my god this is so 80s you know what i mean Right, exactly. It it did pretty good. Did pretty good. Smoking Especially on the plane. Especially because it was early bit. 80s. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, well, thank you so much for hanging out with us for this review of Twilight Zone, the movie. If you would like to see all of our social medias and keep up with our episodes, you can follow us at the Extra Sisters podcast, except for Twitter, which is at the Extra Sisters. And if you would like more content, be able to request content and get fun little things in the mail, you can go over to patreon.com slash the Extra Sisters podcast and join our little family over there. And next time... A lonely woman is consumed by her deadliest desires after tragedy strikes. Till then, stay creepy.